Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. We have episode number 118 today. We're going to be talking about Carl Jung and archetypes uh, with our buddy Lee Adams. I have Lee Adams' information down below. Check out his website, tailleaders.com. And um, I have a couple other links there as well. Um, Sorry about yesterday uh, with the technical issues with uh, uh, Dr. Strassman. We're going to get him back on in like a month or so. Uh, just, it was just a connection issue. So, uh, we want to make sure that one's crispy. Yeah. We didn't want to just half-ass that one. So, um, and, uh, you can check us out, um, on Patreon at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive content, interviews and videos. Uh, a few days ago, I uploaded an extra 30 minutes with, uh, Tom Lane, where he talks about sacred mushroom rituals and walks you through the process. Um, Check out our website, MikeAndMauriceMindEscape.com, and uh, hit the subscribe button and the like button, and uh, let's blast off here. Um, so, Lee, why don't you give us a little bit of your background with Carl Jung and your studies and um, and just how you got interested in the topic? Sure, yeah. Um, so... My background's in psychology, so I got my undergrad in psychology and um, wanted to pursue higher education. So I went to JFK University, um, which is a graduate program that they have um, dealing with uh, consciousness and transformative studies. And um, in that in that school, I took a class on dreaming. I've always been interested in dreaming and researching it. And um, one of my good friends, uh, Ryan Hurd, he is actually the instructor, and he had us read um, the book on uh, Carl Jung called Dreams. It's like a collection of his work. And as any typical crappy graduate student, I didn't read the actual book itself. I kind of skimmed it and just um, went for it. But um, in break period, I had after the class, I actually went back and um, reread the information. Because one of the images in there um, kind of sp- sparked my interest, and it was a uh, an alchemical in- image that he had. So um, fast forward, I read the book, and I was really interested in what Young had to say. And in memory from when I was in the military, um, I was in the Navy, and um, I had a case of sleep paralysis with um, visitations during sleep paralysis, which is like um, hypnagogic hallucinations with uh, uh, figures kind of attacking me and things like that. And um, Jung talks about this encounter with the shadow, which I found really um, mimics this experience very accurately. So that really was... Um, the point where I was like, okay, Jung has something here, you know, like I had an experience, he's writing about the experience word for word, and that kind of, you know, drove me to want to continue this. So instead of pursuing the consciousness and transformative studies master's uh, degree, I decided 
to switch um, directions and go specifically towards Jungian-based um, psychology, so depth psychology, they call it. There's like um, Jungian um, kind of like analytical psychology that you can take as well, but you have to go to like Zurich for that. And then there's like offshoots of that. And one of the primary schools for this offshoot is at Pacifica Graduate Institute, and they have a master's PhD program there. In getting into that, um, they kind of start you off learning about the history of Jung and and his ideas on archetypes and things like that. So um, I am right now, I'm in my second year, um, starting up my second year there. And it's been an interesting experience for sure. And I've learned a lot from Jung. I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in the historical accuracy of Jung's life. I don't know very many people that are because, one, um, a lot of the writing isn't written by Jung that talks about his history. There is a really thick book called The Biography of Jung, I think. And it's monstrous. And it really goes into detail. So if you really want to learn the history of that human being you can you could do that um but the shorter books actually aren't written by him even like um uh forget the title off the top of my head but the common ones that people refer to aren't actually written by him and even his collective works are translated from german to english mm -hmm. and there's misinterpretations in the translations so they're actually going through again and trying to retranslate the entire collective works to a more accurate version so that people can um, actually get accurate information in English. So there's a lot of like strange interpretation and meanings that Jung didn't even say that are in the collective works that people are taking for Jung's words, you know? So just like anything in history, you know, telephone game, eventually some details kind of get lost. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've talked about that multiple times on here. Yeah. Try 150,000. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's bring it up again. No, but so just I'll give a little bit of a background so people have some context. Some people might not know who Carl Jung is that are listening. Um, he was born in 1875 and died in 1961. He was a Swiss psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, and he founded uh, analytical psychology. Um, he, a lot of his work actually contributed to other um, uh, studies as well, like anthropology, archaeology, literature, philosophy, religious studies, uh, a whole array of things. He himself, I believe, at an early age wanted to initially be a minister or a preacher um, until his... I believe his early or mid teens when he found philosophy and then he kind of shifted towards psychology and psychiatry. He wanted to probably understand how the brain works. Um, uh, there was an interesting thing I read um, while looking through his history where when he, at the age of 12, he was like pushed or beat up or and hit the ground and lost consciousness. Uh, and from there, he was having all sorts of weird episodes where they even thought he maybe have, would have had epilepsy at that point. But um, he realized that maybe some of these were neuroses. Um, and uh, what else here? He... <sighs> oh, in his formative years, too, he was definitely going back and forth with uh, Freud, um, Sigmund Freud. And uh, 
they he had a uh, Freud had a huge influence on him. Um, and I know that, and I you can probably answer this better, but I think that that's why they say that he never really went into depth about like sex is because he felt like Freud kind of went went covered to that. yeah he covered the whole thing or went to town on it. There was no real need to go back into that. So uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would say that um, from what I understand is Young wasn't really um, interested in being um, a minister from what I understand anyways. Okay, so um, that's false. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but he was actually very critical of his father because his father was um, a minister. Um, and so he saw religion as kind of like whole, having a hole in it. Like he saw his father and how much his father actually didn't really have a faith and he felt that that was um, indicating that religion didn't have like any value in it, really. Mm. Like he had a dream where, um, like he he was really into religion, and then he had a dream where Young was, and he had a dream where like the um, this giant turd ran landed on a uh, church, and it was like shit all over the place, <laughs> and he was like what the hell you know like he was asking god for like an image and and that's what he got it was like you know fecal matter everywhere and he very like all the time in his writing like about the story and that's where like things kind of changed for him um on religion topics and he he saw his dad and how much like it wasn't providing anything for him and also he at the time he had all those experiences they were talking about he'd have usual hallucinations and um, you know, these fantastic experiences, you know, eyes open experiences and like um, just realizations that normal kids don't have. And from that, you know, like he he knew that he couldn't explain these experiences to his dad because his dad had no like reference to it. So it's kind of similar to, I mean, a lot of other people's lives, I'm sure, but in similar to my my experiences with dreams as a kid i grew up in a very um christian family and my dream experiences were not aligning with what i was being told so i wanted to believe in you know my religious upbringing because it was indoctrinated in me and also i truly felt there was something there However, my dream experiences weren't lining with them. And anytime I brought them up, people would kind of ostracize me as being weird or whatever, you know. And so, and a lot of the dream images were not always positive, you know. They were very dark and like mysterious and weird and terrifying. And those things are hard to bring up with Christians because they usually think that, you know, demonic forces are trying to take you over. So, or something like that, or that you did something wrong, you know, and you're like, I'm just a kid, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't intend for this shit to come up, but um, that's just what's happening, you know. So Jung is, in his life, in his early life, is similar to that, and as he grew up, you know, like in that time and place in history, you had to go learn how to do something, you know, like you had to go to school and become something, otherwise you're going to become a farmer you know or a priest and young was like i'm not doing that so he he uh 
went to uh, psychology, or he went to, I think, neurology first and was, like, dissecting brains and things like that. He was trying to be a very materialistic scientist. And in his experience with, like, dissecting these brains, he's like, there's there's nothing here, you know? There's no substance to this. We're not learning anything, actually, about, like, there's nothing here that we can learn. Right. So he he kind of left that and went towards, like, a more mystical outlet he i think his dissertation was in like paranormal stuff and then um he really got involved into that and eventually started weeding himself out i think with his interaction with freud and freud's like idea of depth psychology and how dream interpretation could be like this thing to help people and they diverged when um Freud essentially thought that all dreams come from the unconscious and the unconscious is like this animalistic thing that we just, that drives us through like sex, food, you know, and very limited things. And that's what all dream content was about. And Jung was like, uh, not from my experience, you know, and from people that he knew. Mm -hmm. So he diverged and he, he came to this understanding that dreams actually are, um, content trying to tell you a message not just trying to tell you like these uncontrollable urges that you can actually build a relationship with them and through that he created like active imagination and um, analytical psychology dream work where the um, Freud's version of dream work is pretty much you tell him your dream and then he's going to interpret it for you Mm -hmm. Uh, Jung's is more you work with the psychologist to figure out what the dreams are trying to tell you you know it's like a collaborative work kind of sure that makes sense and that makes more sense in in what i would think would be more productive in my personal opinion it just makes i don't know how you could tell somebody that they're not even in your consciousness what's going on and then have them understand it. that doesn't really make that much sense to me but um that's why we've evolved um yeah. One thing I want to point out, you said you were talking about like dream analysis there for a second. And the only young thing that I've read so far, uh, other than like just archetype, you know, stuff that you've sent me and, and things like that. Uh, I read my first uh, book on young, which was um, a modern man's search for a soul. And a lot of it has to do with dream analysis. And there was one story in particular that kind of hit home with me where he's talking about this mountain climber guy. Um, who was having these nightmares that he was going to die alone on the mountain. Um, And he suggested that you don't go up there alone or whatever, because this guy was kind of ballsy, like to climb mountains alone and stuff like that. Um, So uh, supposedly he went up and there was an incident where he is him and this other guy somehow got out of it or something. There was like an issue up there. And then, um, Again, he went back up by himself one time, and then I think the next time he actually died up there or whatever. So um, they were talking about, like, how what you just mentioned, like there's something to dreams in that sense, whether it's having an effect on your own perception of reality and psychology that maybe forces you into some sort of, you know, uh, how am I trying to say? So, like, if you have it in the back of your mind that I'm going to go up on this mountain and die because I had these terrible nightmares that it could influence maybe your decision-making, but then on the other end, maybe there's some sort of intuition there um, 
that we're just not aware of with modern science where it's at and everything like that. So what would you say about yeah. that? Well, if, I mean, one thing is um, certain in my life. I don't agree with everything young thought. So I realized that in my school um, that I think he had great ideas, but I think he was missing a lot too, which is understandable because everyone is that way. So um, kind of take his stuff with a grain of salt, but you're right in the sense that dreams essentially in young ideas, right? They're, they're, you have a personal unconscious, right? Where there's a, an aspect of yourself that is in, um, in you or part of you that contains like uh, experiences and patterns and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And those are in, in dream work and active imagination. You can, see those patterns because your ego is semi disconnected during this process right so more unconscious content comes through and Jung uses unconscious versus subconscious um the reason is that freud uses subconscious as being the unconscious and Jung doesn't believe that the unconscious is subpar to the conscious he actually implies that it could be much larger than mm. the um, ego or conscious self that you would call what you are right now. Mm -hmm. So the the self the in the unconscious is much larger in Jungian um, ideas than the ego and everything that you know as being you. So in that sense you have dream content that comes out of the personal unconscious, but then you can also have archetypal um, images and symbols that come out of the collective unconscious where it could be um, patterns to like universal images, things like that, which communicate cross-cultural and everything. And also, you know, synchronistic type experiences where mm -hmm. something comes up that may, um, indicate something in the future or the past or whatever, um, telling you some type of message that you need to like listen to. They're all messages that, in Jungian terms, that they like pay attention to and listen to. Where does it come from or reside? That's the the difference. I think one of his points too was that we spend almost half of our lives in this state, so to to not try and understand it and just brush it off as some byproduct of day-to-day -day consciousness you go you know you're you use up all your energy you go lay down and then you're in some sort of default mode where you then have these dreams and these they're all these um you know the firing of your neurons maybe at a, at a lower um lower level than a you know normal day consciousness so i mean that makes sense when you, when you put it like that that we do spend a lot of our lives in either dream states or sleeping so to not understand what's going on in those realms and see if it has some sort of effect on our day-to-day -day life i think i don't know why you wouldn't look at that yeah definitely Do you yeah, think, think there's um, a difference uh between someone who is awake and thinking oh i might get into a car accident today i probably should be be careful rather than someone that's sleeping and has a dream about getting in, into a car accident the difference in young terms would be that in a dream, it's a lot more um, 
unconscious material. So there's not a lot of ego um, involvement in that. So the imagine these four like ego and unconscious as being two like forces, right? And uh-huh. ego interprets the ego is a device that interprets and rationalizes content. Uh, the unconscious is completely data. It's like un content, right? So it hits the ego, and the ego filters it and creates, tries to make sense of what you're experiencing, and through that, you know, you create a story. Well, in dream experiences, according to Jung, it's less ego-driven content, even some points, you know, no no ego-driven content involved, and it comes through as pure experience, pure data, and then when you interpret that, then you then you uh, um, create the the rationalization and story and stuff like that. And then same thing with active imagination. Active imagination is a tool to pretty much put you in a less ego driven mindset so that you can interpret the data. The problem is that that you can't really experience something without applying ego to it because then it's just an unrational experience data so you have to have some type of device that interprets that data and the ego is what does that so it's like okay you know like ego driven not ego driven content you know it's kind of comes weird but that's the idea behind it so when he was like 38 ish i think around like 1913 he started hearing voices and having all these weird, what he thought was maybe some sort of schizophrenic break or um, episode or something along those lines. And he started journaling. Um, and that's where you get the red book. And you just mentioned uh, uh, active imagination. Why don't you describe that though? Cause I mean, I don't even, even though I've read a little bit about it, I still don't really um, understand what was going on there uh, in terms of, what was the end result of him hearing these voices? Because if he could, he have been schizophrenic or do we know that that's not the case at all? Well, um, he, he says that he's not schizophrenic, um, because he, he's, he understands and he can hold his ground. Like he would, he, he implies that he would have been, he would have gone over the edge. He would have turned crazy if he didn't have like a, a grounded job. He didn't have people to depend on him. He didn't have, you know, like uh, prior education to kind of hold him together while he went through this process. So like, um, it goes back to like, um, Jung has this idea of ego and, and how you're supposed to actually build a relationship with the unconscious. You're not ego destruction is not the goal in depth psychology. It's, and also e- ego rigidity isn't the uh, objective either. It's a malleable ego. So what it, this means is that in our life, we continually um, come in contact with the unconscious through um, meditation, dreams, um, you know, um, hypnotherapy, things like that, or hypnosis, uh, imagination, you know, like daily imagination. So you're coming in contact with this this force, this uh, other force of you, but it, it hits your ego, right? And then it, it pushes away again. So you're coming in contact with it and then pushing away, coming in contact, pushing away. So what happens is if your ego is too rigid, 
then when they come into contact, your ego can become overpowered by the unconscious content. It can break, right? If it's too uh, hard, um, if it's too soft, then the the unconscious content will just come through and take over the ego, and that's when you become essentially possessed or schizophrenic based on these archetypal powers, right? That these patterns that exist in the unconscious. So when Jung was doing his active imagination or when he had his um, visions and things like that, he's essentially talking about the unconscious content coming through, him setting up some type of area barrier system because of his experiences and his knowledge and everything and his groundedness Mm -hmm. where it comes in and then it provides him data and information and then it goes out it goes away and then he's able to like present his ideas in conjunction with the unconscious so that's active imagination is essentially the same way It's it's the same thing where you're inviting the unconscious data to come into you, you know, at a period of time where you feel safe, you set up boundaries, and then it provides you data, you rationalize that, and then it leaves you, and then you can process through that. So it's, I mean, that, I don't know if that's uh, easy to understand. It, it sounds a lot woo-woo, I know, like, from probably people that are listening or whatever, but that's his, you know, that that's his ideas, you know, like, that's just how it is. Well, I, I know for even for uh, a long time, or there was speculation that maybe schizophrenia was even caused by some sort of like endogenous DMT release, which they've done studies um, and collected urine and found that that's not the case. At least, if yeah. it's happening, it's somehow being dissolved before it even gets to the, um, you know. Yeah, there's an interesting thing with. Um... I mean, I'm interested in that theory too, of course. Um, I've looked into it quite a bit, but I'm not a neuroscientist. And I, you know, I kind of give up um, after a couple of years of looking into that. And what I have found, though, is there's a lot of people that are like schizophrenics. um, And there's a lot of people in history that are like schizophrenics. And there's commonalities in those people. And narcolepsy is one of those commonalities that we can actually look at and study and they're similar, very similar to schizophrenics. Um, an interesting thing with narcoleptics is that most of them had some type of flu, oddly enough, right? Like the swine flu. And um, it caused them to have a specific area of their brain get modified and to the point that they now have problems sleeping, right? They have what is called REM intrusion during wakefulness, and they also have cataplexy where they fall down because they get excited or um, something triggers it, like related to sleep, and they don't pass out. They're actually in sleep. So they're actually conscious, mm-hmm. but they can't move, and they're usually seeing stuff that most people don't think are there. So <laughs> they think it's there, right, because it seems pretty real. And another aspect of um, – um, these sleep issues can be triggered through being hit in the head. So if you have a concussion or something like that, which applies to young, right? So he got hit in the head and then his vision started. Well, they found for whatever reason that this specific area of the brain gets damaged when you get hit in the head sometimes and it can cause you to be narcoleptic. So young very well could have had some major sleep issues, what he really about because at the studied and really having 
moved on it. Um, but he fits a lot of the same uh, markers as a narcoleptic. Um, so do a lot of other people that are interested in psychedelics and dreams and things like that and creative activities. So it's it's an interesting thing to think that um, maybe it's not as complex as we think it is with like DMT and psychedelics and stuff like this. You know, maybe it's involved in some way, but I think if we start looking at people with sleep disorders, we'll find we'll find a lot more information and data on it. Well, because of my OCD and depression, I also I mean I also have I'm an insomniac. I didn't even go to bed last night until yeah. like six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so. Um, with with all that being said, there's certain times where I haven't gone to bed and weird things have happened. Like my only, I think I've had two experiences with sleep paralysis and both of them um, where I got like pinned down and this white light flushed over me and I couldn't move. And it was just this like white light. That That's all I could experience. And then the more I fought it, the deeper down it like made me sink. Um both of those times that that's happened, I've been severely sleep deprived. One of them was coming off of a camping trip where we were hanging out, doing psychedelics, not, not sleeping all weekend. And then the second time was I didn't just didn't go to bed the night before. And I tried to take like a, a little nap. And when I started to like drift off is kind of when that happened. So, um, and you and I have discussed that weird, like light thing when you're like meditating or about to fall asleep sometimes, um, which I've talked to a few different people. I have no idea what that is. Um, but what you're saying does make sense too. Maybe it's some sort of, um, disruption in our sleep patterns that, you know, maybe has something to do with melatonin, um, in terms of, yeah, I think, it, I think it's all related yeah. to be honest with you. Um, in terms of young, like, um, young, he tried to go like, uh, hardcore anti-material based science. So like, uh, depth psychology is really like anti the um, standard scientific method and things like that. So you won't find like um, uh, quantitative data in Jung's work because of that. It's all like anecdotal mm -hmm. evidence. So like personal experiences versus like repeatable scientific ex uh, experiments. And the problem with that is that you miss a lot of the other side, like the neurology that's related to to um, in chemistry that's related to sleep. And a lot of the uh, depth psychologists don't really even have the concept of like what a sleep cycle is. Um, these things like REM intrusion that we were talking about earlier. REM intrusion is essentially like if you don't get REM in the in the right amount of time, the right place. It will make it will come out mm -hmm. regardless, and what that does is that it um, it will make you hallucinate. So, or it will activate like processes that make you go into sleep paralysis, things like that. So, if you um, you know if you don't sleep for a long period of time, you, your brain will force you into REM, you know, and it will do it at times that you're not ready for. So. If anybody, you know, that has sleep paralysis, you know, is like, what's going on? They need to really look at their sleep, you know, like they may sleep for six, seven hours at night, but they, they may not be getting REM at the right time, mm -hmm. you know, and it's really confusing. Even in the narcoleptic community, like if you sit there and like listen to these people and you talk to them, the doctors that are neuroscientists that know stuff about uh, narcolepsy, they 
are confused too. They don't know what's going on. Like many doctors misdiagnose people and all kinds of stuff. It's not like a hard science thing. It's more of like a weird art, you know, mixed mm-hmm. with science. So sleep is like the most confusing thing probably that we know today. Well, I mean, there's new studies too. I mean, that uh, Dr. Matthew Walker, um, he's been on Joe Rogan. And I think he's got a TED Talk yeah. and stuff too. He talks about every night that you don't get eight hours of sleep, deep sleep, that you, you're causing, you're giving yourself brain damage uh, of some yeah. some sort. Um, so everybody out there, it's important that you get sleep. Number one, uh, I mean, I struggle with it myself, but um, so here's the the thing for me is like I can take a couple hits of some indica or a couple drops of some Whoa, dude. some some oil. Uh, that Maurice, uh, <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> uh, no, but, um, so when you do that stuff, it definitely helps me sleep. Like I get great sleep. I, I wake up, I feel refreshed. It definitely feels like, um, it, it hit, you know, it hit the mark. However, when I do that, I don't dream. Um, so, yeah. so what's going on there? I would say, I mean, not to get too far off of young, but I think it's an interesting thing that, um, you're talking about sleep intrusion or uh, dream intrusion or uh, REM intrusion. Yeah. I'm sorry. And and the thing is, is wouldn't that, how does that not happen if you're using like some people drink and they don't dream or some people smoke pot and they don't dream or whatever the case may be. Um, how does that not bleed over then? But it does when you just don't, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, it does. Um, so like the, the guy that you're talking about, I, I, I don't know what's about him. First of all, I just don't like the guy. Okay. I don't know why, but I have a bad feeling about him. But um, one thing he did say is like, I mean, he's a he hard, mat- under- he's a hard materialist scientist. But yeah, I mean, I don't but know. I don't know. Something, something, something maybe his personality or something. I don't know. Something I don't like about. Him. But yeah, anyways, a lot of those. <laughs> um, so take that for what it is, right? Sure. But um, the one issue that I do have is he says Joe Rogan, like you smoke cannabis, you 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 don't get rim, you know, it's like, okay, well, people smoke cannabis all the freaking time. Right. Mm-hmm. And those people aren't hallucinating, you know, and we know from hard science that if you don't get rim, your brain will make you go into rim. It'll make you have micro dreams. Right. And people that smoke cannabis like all the time aren't sitting there like having micro sleeps all the time. So not like people have had in, studies done on REM where they completely suppress it and people, you know, go into these like micro sleeps all the time and like start hallucinating, you know, and can't drive cars or anything like that. They're essentially narcoleptic, right? Mm. Those people are like disabled, right? Right. They're not cannabis users, right? right? Cannabis users still can drive cars and live. So something else is going on there. One thing that um they talk about is like serotonin, GABA um, acetylcholine and things like that and how cannabis has effects on like GABA and serotonin systems and so does alcohol and all this stuff and that's their idea is like if you if you increase serotonin in the body then you have less sleep and so I'm per- I, you know chemicals kind of get me confused but I'm pretty sure that's it is that why since I've looked at my articles is that when, when you take psychedelics whether it's like a large dose of psilocybin or LSD that you just can't sleep afterwards too because yeah. your serotonin's being probably ele- that is the best explanation that I can give you okay. you know like I've had the similar thing where if I'm 
if I take a high dose of mushrooms, there is no way in hell that I can actually fall asleep, right? Right. It's just like or MDMA. That's a big one. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't done that one, but I'd imagine the serotonin system, serotonin system. The five HT two A. Yeah. So, and if you take like a high dose of five HTP, which is a precursor to serotonin, Mm -hmm. it makes it so you can't sleep too. But there's also GABA, which nobody really talks about, and the GABA, GABA is opioid a, receptor. Yeah, I don't know if it's GABA opioid, but it's I know GABA. Okay. I'm 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 not an expert at this stuff, but um, could have fooled just us. Bear with me with the GABA. Yeah, <laughs> bear with me with the GABA stuff. But um, so GABA dabba duda. Yeah, it's considered a uh, neurodepressant, right? And it and that's why a lot of the times I think people talk about alcohol being a depressant right because it's a neurodepressant it releases GABA into the system and from GABA everything that I've found that relates to release of GABA you start having memory issues you have this if you get too much of it you black out right mm-hmm. and like so if you drink a lot and most people black out right eventually and then you're like I don't remember shit but I was doing everything as if I was normal right. besides I'm drunk you know and you know, you're usually acting funny or whatever, but you still are doing stuff. You're still coherent enough to like walk around and stuff. You just don't remember anything. Same thing with weed. If like, if I smoke a high amount of weed, I don't remember what happened, you know, but, you know, I was still coherent at least, you know, that's some good weed. Yeah. So I'm the opposite. I think, I think weed enhances my memory by far. Oh, um, to, to the well, point where if they did an, an experiment, I'm confident that if I didn't smoke, I would probably have a less chance of remembering things than if I did smoke. Oh. There's some, I'm, maybe it's just because I've been doing it since my Yeah, it might teens. be something with the addiction level of it is yeah. it makes you more because to it. Yeah, I mean, it affects other people differently, too. Like, um, I have a good friend that he smokes weed and he becomes like a genius, you know? It's like, okay, you know, what's that? So what I think is like... Uh, it, you know, and you're an insomniac too, and a lot of people aren't insomniacs, so mm-hmm. they usually have problems like staying awake, you know. So these things are a lot more complex, but what I'm getting to is that um, when you smoke weed, I remember my dreams, but they're really hard to remember. They take a long time to recall. Mm-hmm. So it's not, and they're just as vivid at the point that I actually get to the point where I recall it, and if you talk to people about their dreams and their cannabis users, they usually can start recalling some parts of their dreams after a period of time of working with them. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at is that it doesn't stop you from dreaming. It may suppress REM, you know, some, but it's not doing it all the way. And my dreams are just as like long and complex and everything. They may even be more so, but remembering them is the hard part. So there's two different things happening there. And there's studies done where um, they took people out of REM and they, you know, woke them up. They weren't in REM, and they found out that they were dreaming just as much, if not more, in some cases than when they were in REM. So there's there's a lot of weird information out there on dreams, and people just don't understand what's happening. There's old evidence that you know, like the chemicals that they suppress REM. Four, you know, like if you do a study on somebody and you actually inject a chemical into them that suppresses REM, 
they don't usually look at what other processes that chemicals are operating, like what other chemicals it's interacting with that could influence dreams, you know, mm -hmm. and memory. They're just thinking, oh, well, it stops REM, so, you know, we're good. It may disable some other area of the brain that actually produces dreams, right? And they're like, oh, well, it stopped dreams, so everyone dreams in REM, period, done, you know, and they move on. That's not how it is. So if you look at like the some of these chemicals, they actually affect other parts of the brain that um, that future studies, like uh, more recent studies, have shown that no, in fact, like people that have damaged areas of the brain where they no longer get REM, they dream still. So, do you think that you know, the default mode network that cannabis puts you in could then maybe be what's affecting that whole? cycle or maybe yeah. maybe altering it in some way since that alters you, yeah. you know your ego and i'll just i'll just tell you right now like if you look up all the 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 um what a default mode network is and all everything that they refer to as the default mode network and what changes in default mode network shutdown with like psychedelics and cannabis and all stuff it's the same thing as ego like it's the same thing so like and then Alzheimer's and and meditation and all these things affect default mode network process, right? Mm -hmm. And all of them have the same experiences where they lose sense of time, they lose sense of self, they lose their memories of self, all these things, right? And it, so default mode network is a is a long word, a scientific word for ego. Mm. So when your ego shuts down, you start dreaming, period. All right, so let's pivot here uh, and get to pivot. Get to the juiciness. Um, why don't you try and you're the best way you can describe Jungian archetypes? And um, I know there's a lot to it, but just a, a general overview, and then we can try and maybe pick it apart a little bit. Okay, so um, there's main ones that Jung generally talks about, and it's like the the shadow um the self um the anima animus and those are pretty much like the the main ones that that he really talks about and and he also implies that um archetypes are numerous as there are people on the planet maybe even more so so he kind of just leaves it as it's like i don't know how big it is you know how many there are or whatever it could be infinite right of these like patterns so an archetype, though, in Jungian terms, is a is a it's, it's almost undefinable. You can't actually know what an archetype is, even though Jung really tries to like describe them in his work. But he also says that you can never actually know what the archetype is. So he implies this idea that you can kind of like look, you can. You can feel it. It's like the elephant analogy of like the yogis touching like the different parts of the elephant and being like, oh, the elephant's the nose or the leg or whatever. You know what I'm talking about with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So it's like everyone's describing part of their elephant, which is the archetype, but they're describing in different ways, right? And that's kind of Jung's analogy to these archetypes. And like, um, they're essentially like patterns that are generated. Um, in the unconscious environment through experience um, 
And the the best way of really describing it is like, um, you could say, for the universe to know itself, right? So like the the universe is this ins uh, this completely un uh, total capacity of creativeness, right? But it doesn't have any form in it. It has no pattern in it. So through experience, through pattern development in the unconscious, the universe starts building a reference to itself, right? It gives itself um, value and like depth and everything. Mm -hmm. So in the personal unconscious, it's a similar thing where humans um, are creating patterns through their experiences, through interactions or whatever with their environment, the senses and everything. And it creates these patterns in the unconscious. And that's how, you define the relationship to reality and all this stuff. And then um, your ego also is in a form, a archetype itself. It comes out of the unconscious. Jung talks about um, the ego coming out like an, a rock coming out of the water. You know, like he's sitting on the, he, he visions it where he's sitting on like the um, a lakeside, I think. And he sees like a rock coming out of the water and he's like oh that's how the the ego forms it actually forms out of this material and then um creates itself so then the shadow is an interesting one because um in reference to all this stuff the shadow is like a protective barrier between the the ego and the unconscious um where it usually gets a rep in um, everything that you learn about Jung, but it gets a bad rep because it's the it's the opposite side of yourself. So everything that you suppress goes into this shadow, and it kind of stores that data in the shadow, a protective barrier between the the other archetypes. Then once you get past the shadow, you get to the anima and animus, and according to Jung, um, the depending on your physical gender of the human being, um, it would be the opposite of you. So if you're a man, then it would be the anima, and um, it'd be the opposite of you. And then through that, you would have, you would be able to use that archetype as a communication device to the complete rest of the collective unconscious. And that's how the relationship works. It's really freaking confusing, you know, and I don't understand it all either because I think there's you did so many a good like job of kind of describing yeah. the basics of it. I thought that that was pretty good. So there's a lot of like confusion when you get into this realm because if you start reading Young and you actually take it seriously, he will build all these contradictions into his work where you're like, okay, like you can't say that because before you said something different, you know, like you sell the foundation and now you're like breaking the rule. So it becomes really confusing. And, like, to sum Jung up in his archetypes concept is, like, that's where I'm like, okay, like, there's something there, you know? Like, I have experiences that relate to this, mm -hmm. and so does a lot of other people. He was get, he was on to something. However, he, um, he was, like, a wandering child through this stuff, you know? Like, he was just trying to make sense of it as best he could, but, you know, he's, he, he doesn't know. And... Um, I, I think that's where it is. I, I think today, actually, like, 
in modern age is the best time that we could possibly ever learn this stuff fully because we have we have such a huge network of information out there that once you weed through all the bullshit, you know, social media, you know, trying to like take your money and shit away, mm-hmm. there's like two million articles or yeah, two million or three million articles on Wikipedia, I think, you know. There's more articles in, in Wikipedia than there were in the entire Library of Alexandra, you know, like mm-hmm. just by itself. That's not academia stuff either. Like you go in the academia world, it's like crazy, you know. Right. So it's like you can connect these dots together a lot better than Young could. But Young is a good like starting point. You know what I mean? Yeah, you talk about the hypocrisy. I think that's a, a sign of intelligence. I mean, that's something that uh, I've been trying to adopt a lot lately too. Is and we talk about it on our show all the time. What we know today, tomorrow, a couple years from now is going to be outdated wrong it's going to be thrown out a hundred years a thousand years we're going to look like idiots but it's almost like humanity's purpose is to keep chipping away and let the next people kind of interpret it in a new way or um, a way that makes more sense to the current data or data Um, so I mean you look at like Thomas Kuhn philosophy of science and you know, paradigm shifts and scientific revolutions and all that stuff. Um, I think what's interesting, though, is even though Young contradicts himself, like you mentioned, he's still very relevant. People are still talking about him. People are still researching him. I mean, this was, uh, you know, um, over 100 years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest contribution that Young really had was, well, a few things is, he he asked questions and he was willing to listen to people that typically would not be listened to. And he listened to them in a way that most people don't today, which is like he actually took their experience as being something that's real, you know, like even crazy people, right? Mm-hmm. We look at them, we're like, oh, they're just they're just talking to random ass people that don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Jung would not just throw those people away, and he didn't. He actually went down and sat with them and said, what, "Who are you talking to? You know, what are they saying?" And then he like did that often enough that he started going, "Oh, there's like some weird pattern here," you know. And he started putting it together. He also didn't just throw away, you know, thousands of years of religious uh, practices. They call them religious practices today, but they were just ways to live life back a thousand years ago. So he spent a lot of time looking at like yoga and alchemy. Like alchemy was like his thing, you know, like his go-to. He spent a lot of time trying to that. And, um, you know, like Taoism and all these different aspects of yoga and alchemy to try to figure out like what these people knew because in his reading, he realized there was some value to it. Like, there's something there. He just couldn't get it. Um, it's human truth. Think, it's just more and more of an right. ancient consciousness perspective. Um, and, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's this. so this is part one. But part two, I definitely think we should talk about more of the mystical and, um, you know, alchemical aspects of this sort of topic. So Yeah. So, I mean, the the main thing that the last point I really want to get to is that the individualization process talks about is his like thing, right? Like that's that's what makes his work so important. It's this idea that each of us has 
process that we're going to and we're um, eventually searching for that that center of ourselves and through this exploration process we eventually can find or at least narrow down into that center and people that are trying to find meaning in their lives especially now you know it's like it's key time to start looking inward versus outward for the the answers so you know looking at your life yeah looking at your life and figuring out what's actually valuable not just like money and currency and stuff like that but actually like what you're doing with your life to reach your highest self you know they call it the self it's the the type of the self so yeah i think that's i mean if if you could throw away everything about young out essentially but if you keep the self in there you're like that gives you people the direction you know Mm -hmm. and i don't think there's there's many uh any misconceptions of what the self is in Jung's work so far that I've seen. He's pretty spot on based on all the other, you know, religious practices out there. They all indicate that there is a center to your being, you know, and you need to work on that over time, whatever that means. Yeah. And he seems to be somewhat of a, like you mentioned before, going through this, thing that you and I even go back and forth with and what we talk about on the show all the time is that there's something more than what's going on and it's hard to kind of understand and there's always new information and paradigm shifts and all these things um but do people like when you so you're, you go to school for this is there is there dogmatic academics that are like oh he really meant this and trying to like misinter- misrepresent his work and his um his journaling and all that as something that maybe is he meant to be more materialistic or something like that or is or is it usually when people talk about young it's like oh okay this is somewhat woo woo compared to real psychology like how is it you know interpreted in those communities well the the main scientific community they um psychology they will throw out young stuff almost completely um really i mean i talked to oh yeah i talked to a psychologist um and they were like yeah your dreams are meaningless you know and i was like what the fuck i'm like (laughs) you're crazy (laughs) it's like i was like and there's a lot of people that really i mean we laugh but there's a lot of people that think their meat their dreams are just feedback you know random static just like a stat you know like they'll you could say like a static of the TV, you know, but even that's a bad analogy, dude, you know, like I'd even accept the brain is working out problems from the day or the week, or I would accept that over what you're saying, which I have heard myself, you know, I have heard that myself as well, that it's just meaningless. It's, it's firing and, you know, firing of neurons while you're, you're sleeping and, you know, it's, different things we don't even know consciousness is so yeah like we're taking that's what i don't understand about science and that's what pisses me off is you're going to take giant leaps to to say that something you know to be true okay you can't prove that consciousness is a byproduct of the material brain just like i can't prove that it's not you know so um we're in the same boat together let's do our best but the 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 weird thing is is that the 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 um the main point that most people hammer home is well you know look at what we've found out about science since then and it's usually you know um 
whatever you think it is. There's no mystery, you know, mystery or whatever. It's like whatever the dogmatic point is. Like if you took Richard Dawkins and talked about evolution, well, my personal opinion on evolution is that there's got to be a point to it, right? A purpose. Why is something trying to survive? There is some sort yeah. of mechanistic and um, teleological um, uh, reasoning behind there that we just don't understand. Yet somebody like Richard Dawkins, who thinks he knows everything in the universe and has it all figured out, it's all this is all a mistake. It's just a cosmic mistake. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. Um, so, I mean, when you look at things like that, it's like that's what gets me angry and it's not that i don't think that those people obviously they should you should have all sides of the argument out there um it just i like people with an open mind so if somebody makes a good point you should accept that good point and say okay let me look at this again where you'll have some dogmatic scientists say well i can refute that by saying this or i can refute that with this research from this person so um i love science i just wish that there was more open and honest discussion and realization that we are all human just because you went to school for a few more years. Uh, to me, it just means you have more confirmation and cognitive bias than people that didn't, yeah. that are looking at it with uh, an open mind. But that's just my opinion on the subject. But sorry. Yeah, I think um, the uh, um, a lot of um, academics, they buy into specific dogma based on their disciplines, you know, either, you know, psychology or depth psychology too it's not a doesn't go one way and they disregard the scientific method which is you know to observe um and to repeat this uh, a process you know to to build some type of format that things work you know like observing and and experimenting and repeating it so you can continue to do it that's that's the scientific method, you know. It's not, and then discuss it, you know, to discuss the areas where it could have been flawed, the the research. The scientists that you and I are talking about are not scientists, you know. They're they're believers. Well, in I mean, a, they are, a, but yeah, I mean, yeah, technically they are. PhD. They're <laughs> PhD, you know. Yeah, it's like okay, I get a PhD and now I'm a scientist, you know. I'm a depth psychologist scientist. It's like, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. The the other side is the a lot of depth psychologists, they completely throw out this whole scientific method, you know, like this whole, um, this whole quantitative, um, analysis, data driven, materialistic concept of how reality is. And they'll buy They'll fight to the bitter end and they'll be like, well, where is it useful? And I'm like, well, it's useful, like flying planes, you know, like, like you can't fly a plane without the scientific method. Like that's how right. it freaking works. You know, it's data driven yeah. and it, and they're like, well, you know, like it may work on a plane, but it doesn't No, that's not how shit works. You know? But like, yeah. Just to point out too, that it goes both ways. There are a lot of people right. saying woo woo things that don't actually do research that don't actually look into these things. Um, I try and look at it from both angles. I want to know the mainstream academic or like whatever the cutting edge scientific research is. But I also want to know the alternative theories and I want to bounce them off each other, see what makes sense, see what sticks in my own personal, um, um, you know, consciousness and see what rat, what comes out of it. Now, I'm, I'm not right. I'm just another observer putting information together. 
Uh, however, I think that that's a emotional way to look at things is to look at all the data or as much of it as you can and then consider the possibilities. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like if you, if we go completely with the material uh, aspect of science and just weed out everything else, we're going to get to a point where everything's going to be so re- reduced that it's going to be like a dull way to live. There are mysteries yeah. in life. There are mysteries in the universe. That yeah. might be what drives us. Um, I know that. So the, I mean, yeah, the, um, the main point I want to get there is that I don't have all the answers. I don't know anybody that does. You know what I mean? I knew them because I would love to talk to them. But what I do know is that when you don't have, when you think that you know everything and that the world has no meaning and it's, you know, and there's nothing to it besides just, um, like there's randomness, right. That exists Mm -hmm. and you're nihilistic about life. Your life is generally shitty. You know, like I have never met anybody that's a nihilist that has having a great time in life. You know, they're usually like, Oh, what's the fucking purpose? Mm -hmm. So, and I think it's absolutely unscientific to think that randomness actually exists. I don't, I have no um, examples that I could ever imagine, and, and somebody is welcome to give me an example, where there is randomness, absolutely 100% proven randomness, down to the T, that it just doesn't exist, you know? Well, like, okay, so, so let me point out something there. I, I, I've thought a lot about this, and I, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to sure. s- say something that I think pertains to that. I think ra- I think there's both randomness and determinism exist together. And I think determinism is what we project out onto the world. And randomness is the subjective experiences that we have. And the reason why they're random is because we don't have the tools to, uh, well, okay, so Simone Laplace, uh, I think he's a French physicist from, I think the 1700s, if I'm not mistaken, talked about this billiard shot where if we were playing pool and you gave right. me all the geometry, all the trigonometry, everything right. to figure out, yeah, you know, I could tell you where the balls are going to land. Right. And, and that's, if you pl- apply that to the world, you know, it's like God's pool shot in a way where right. things, there's processes going on that we could explain if we had better tools, if we had better terminology, right. if we had better ways of explaining things. So I think that, the internal experience is random because it's it's there's it's not material it's it's thought it's something abstract and then when you know again you look at the the outside world where then we can determine things where if i drop this i know it's going to fall here and if i keep doing it it's going to you know what i'm saying so that's just my opinion right. on it but um i think there is a word random and it defines something and it defines what you're talking about it's defined something that you don't understand and you can't possibly understand it sometimes, Hmm. but it doesn't mean that through this form, if you had the capability of understanding that process, that it would be random. It would be, it would have reason behind it. Right. So, which I tend to think that the, I believe in or agree with the, the concept of a holographic universe. So, you can apply the same thing to anything, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, random data on a computer doesn't make sense unless you can decode it, right? Or you have some tool that can 
that can process the data out, right? Right. The ego, it, according to Jung, is exactly the same thing, right? You have unconscious data it comes in it's encoded and then the ego goes and it starts forming it into some type of rational thought you know or image and there you go it's a decoding tool really that's what it is it's the processor it's the that's what it is the human brain i think is the processor of data it processes data you know and decodes it puts it in the in the form that we understand or at least try to understand it right the Mm -hmm. best method but on a grand scale, you know, like the entire known everything, the same process exists. It's exactly the same. It's just macro versus micro, you know? Mm-hmm. You call it, a lot of people call it like um, macro cosmos versus micro cosmos, cosmos or cosmos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, 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 of correspondence of the principle of correspondence. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but that's the same thing. Yeah, no, I mean, we've had uh, Jude Curvin on, who's a cosmologist, and uh, she wrote a book called The um, the Cosmic Hologram. And uh, I know there's another, was the, the Holographic Universe is another book. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely real scientists Interesting stuff. pushing this yeah. kind of... Uh, people people miss it. Like I didn't know what a hologram was until I actually like sat there and read, you know, this concept of hologram, and um, and it absolutely makes sense. I mean, it applies absolutely to Jung's concepts. That's why it works so well with Jung because that's how he saw everything. Mm. Um, I tried to explain this to like people in depth psychology too in my classes and stuff. So like. You know, like these are just repeating patterns. Like, you know, like you can look at the smallest thing or any human creation and it's exactly the same thing. You know, we can't stop but repeat these holographic processes that happen not only just in our bodies and our minds, but so on and so forth. You know, it's like you just can't stop. So, um, so it's interesting that you can you can take a piece of artwork, you know, any any artwork really, and you can sit there and go, you can you can use that artwork to determine who the person is because they're projecting their psychology onto the artwork. And and you can also take the human psychology and you can you can find out the painting of uh, the cosmos in them. You're like, "Okay, this is how the brain works. This is how magnetic fields work, you know." All these things and you're like, "Okay." Mm-hmm. See that you know? that's the one aspect though that I, I wonder about when you're talking about like determinism and randomness and stuff like that is creativity because it's so abstract that um you know it's what I'm got saying? a pattern too. Well, but I, it does have a pattern, but it's not you know like what because so music, music 100% has patterns, you know, uh if you're drawing something, drawing yeah, they have patterns, but I'm talking about where it's coming from, like what's the you know I could say, yeah, all these experiences in my life led me to this point by knowledge of playing the guitar and this and that led me to this point right. where I'm going to write this song. I understand that, well, but I'm saying there's something, ask any musician, and most of them will tell you that they don't know where this thing's coming from. Right. It's coming from somewhere, right. but they don't know where it's coming that's, from. That's the interaction. I mean, we're talking about Jung, so Jung would say that's the interaction between the unconscious and the conscious, right? Mm-hmm. The unconscious is completely unrationalized data. Like, I use data because everyone today uses computers and understands what data is, right? So, 
imagine the human brain as a processor, you throw a bunch of data at it. It also has a feedback loop into it as well, which is like um, other aspects of the ego where it identifies itself as being like the creator of everything. You know, that's what we think we are. So when you have unconscious data come in through this like malleable ego, it comes in and then the brain, the human brain goes, oh, I need to like figure out what this means and build patterns out of it and like make sense of it and make a story and all this stuff. And then, and then it starts generating creativity, right? Which is like, I use, um, me and a friend use the word um, loose logic, right? So pure logic would be like pure ras- rationalization of the human brain. But loose logic is where the rationalization mechanism, whatever that is, the default mode network shuts down just enough that allows unconscious data to come into it that is outside pattern form data already. It's just encoded. And then the human ego, the default mode network, processes the data. And then that's what we call as creativity, which is a feedback of your experiences, your local unconsciousness, right? Your ego and the collective unconscious building this experience where you're like, this date, this, you know, this music feels like it's coming outside of me. Well, it is, you know, like mm-hmm. that's how the shit works. So it's like a, it's like a TV, you know, like I was using a TV as like a random, you know, the fuzz on the TV is random generated data, right? Which is a bad, uh, analogy because or metaphor because it doesn't it's not random like if you could decode that data you would get image sound everything but because you can't decode it it looks like a mess of nothing you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. That, that's where i'm at you know like so how do that, I look like jimmy page <laughs> you got to listen to the unconscious man <laughs> You got to steal the music I don't, from I don't other. Deal with the devil or what? No, you got to steal music well, from other people and then write "Stairway to Heaven." Right. <laughs> I mean, like the 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 thing with me and I mean, like I don't think Young went for far enough with this stuff. To be honest with you, I think he, I think what he was trying to do is he was trying to make his life work as best as he could, make money try to build something where he was like important and shit too, you know, like, cause otherwise he wouldn't share anything. He wouldn't care, you know? Mm-hmm. And well, a lot of times, kind of at, heart, at yeah, heart, you know, a lot of the times, like he talks about like that exact thing. Like he, he obviously struggled between trying to like make something of himself and then just not giving a shit about pretty much everybody else besides like the people he cared about. And like, um, in one of the in one of his one of the books he talks about like um where they they're like trying to they're they're making the school official and everything and he's up there and he's like obviously the main speaker you know guest speaker because it's his school and he goes up on stage and he's like my dad he um i think he, I, I don't want to misquote him but i'll try my best is like my dad made a school for disabled people and i made a school for retarded adults so that was like his introduction to like congratulations you made like the school of analytical psychology is like you guys are all freaking morons you know mm-hmm. he thought they were just yeah. he's like this is the stupidest shit you could ever make and that's and it's alive today you know so um yeah, besides 
it's our own personal journey. And I think young struggled with that. He was trying to make sense of this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't think he went far enough because of that. He, he didn't go far enough because he, re, he, um, restricted himself to these rigid ideas that otherwise he would seem absolutely insane or religious. I think a lot of religions, um, I mean, I used to be Christian and, I really struggled with that a long time, trying to stay away from religion as being some type of answer, you know? Mm-hmm. But in all this, I've come back to it and go, okay, there's the stories in there may not be 100% accurate, but they're trying to tell you right. a message. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. like um, another metaphor for this thing is a black hole. And that's why I think it is. I think the self is like a black hole. The only way that you can really see a black hole, I mean, some light escapes, but the majority of the light is on the outside, right? And you see, like, you don't see the inside of it. You see around it. Mm-hmm. All this stuff that people do and in, in the self, right? This metaphor of the self is exactly the same way. It's a spinning, inward spinning thing, right? Infinite. And it's like the more that you go on the outside and fill in all this data, you start building a reference of what's actually inside of it, right? And you can start peering inside. And also, there's great videos on black holes and, and the math behind it, and they say the exact same thing. In, in reference to the holographic universe, even, is that the outside ring of the black hole is not just heat. Heat is actual data, and it's encoded data. And if we could decode the data on outside the corona of the black hole you could see everything inside of it. Mm. So it's like, okay, the universe is data. It's just like a computer. It's not a computer, though. A computer is a holographic representation of the universe. But if we look at the analogy or the metaphor that a computer actually is, we can find out how the universe works, you know? And Interesting. It's an odd way of finding out your relationship to this thing that's happening around us. No, that's a good, that's a good analogy. I like it. Um, and we can, uh, wrap it up on that note. We'll do, we'll get you back on and do a couple more parts on this and dive into some different, uh, aspects of his research and life. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. It's super enlightening. I mean, obviously we're not experts on this topic and I know (laughs) you say that you're not an expert, but you go to school for it. So you do have a lot of knowledge on the subject. Um, but yeah, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, is there anything you want to plug? No, I just think uh, you know, in these hard times that people are having, um, you know, that a lot of I think the the biggest thing that people have a hard time with is that they think, um, you know, unfortunately they think that this this reality, this experience they're having is is it. And I I really I may have be thought, and I don't think that's true at all. And I think there's a lot more to the story that's their human life than they're giving themselves credit for. And they need to really spend time in their home, reflect on that, meditate, you know, breathe about it. What is take this time to, to really spend time with yourself and figure it out. Mm. Cause you're, you may not have times, you know, available in the near future. This is a gift. In a weird way. <laughs> so. No, I mean, that's a good point. Well, wow, some people have definitely lost their jobs. Some people are working from home. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on out there, but you make a good point. I mean, 
when are you going to have this much time instead of being bored and watching some stupid Netflix show you can watch anytime, you know, maybe take a few minutes to reflect, meditate, whatever you're going to pray, whatever you're going to do. So, but uh, well, there's always a way to spin on. Things. I think that's, that's a good, uh, good thought practice is just if to you, take some of the bad stuff and yeah. try and figure out why, how, how to turn it into good stuff. If you're looking for a job right now, it's probably not the right time, you know? And a lot of people are doing that because they just lost their job and they're freaking out. Now is the time to take a moment, breathe, and focus, you know, internally. And then when the time's right, find a job, you know, things like that. So cool. Sir, will make sense. Um, so, yeah, I have some links to some of uh, the things that Lee does down below. Check those out. Um, Again, you can check us out at uh, Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive content and interviews. Um, thank you to Sandy, who is a new patron. Um, anybody listening to the show knows that if you become a patron, I will definitely give you a shout out. And I will also listen to uh, suggestions in terms of guests, topics, things like that. Um, check out our website, Mike and Maurice MindEscape.com. We are on all social media platforms. I'm most active on Twitter if you want to jump on there and follow us. And, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Taileaters.com. Yeah, Taileaters.com. <laughs> Check out. Th- thanks for having me on, guys. It was great, and I'm always happy to be on the show and hopefully, you know, share some of my pitiful knowledge on it. <laughs> oh, no, people, no I don't I'm, say that, man. That was why. That was some, some eye-opening insight, I think. Yeah, I think um, – I don't know. I think I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. I mean, because whether some scientists subscribe to it or they don't or whatever, I mean, you're going to school for this. So if you're learning all this, and uh, hopefully the next couple times we'll have you back on, we'll learn a lot more as well. So, all right, peace, buddy. Stay safe. Man.